Hey, Steve here. Welcome to another episode of the Natural Curiosity Project. You know, technologically, we've come pretty far as a species. I mean, if you just think about it, you'll realize what I'm talking about. We have research vessels that travel self-guided through space and land on Mars. After an almost inconceivable sequence of carefully choreographed steps, they land precisely where they're supposed to eight months later. Or as happened on New Year's Day, they travel to the farthest known object in the solar system, well beyond Pluto, a journey that took 12 years at 36,000 miles an hour. Mind you, at that distance, a radio signal traveling at the speed of light, which is 186,284 miles per second, takes four and a half hours to reach Earth. Imagine having to tell your car four and a half hours ahead of time that you want it to turn left now. The thing is, there's a lot to pat ourselves on the back about. We've created technological magic in so many fields. We have robots that do surgery, self-driving vehicles that actually work, a wired and wireless global telecom infrastructure that allows us to connect to someone in a matter of seconds on the other side of the planet and have a video conference for zero money. We've built complex structures using nanotechnology that are mind-blowing. We walk around with supercomputers in our pockets and complain when they take more than two seconds to connect to an online resource on the other side of the planet. These are accomplishments to be celebrated, to be recognized as major advances of the human species. They inspire awe. We've only had antibiotics for about 75 years. Before they came along, people died by the hundreds of thousands from a cold or a scratch. Now, here's a recent example of something amazing that humans have done. I want to talk about the element carbon. Carbon's kind of a funny substance. The lead, which is not lead, by the way, the lead in your pencil is made out of graphite, which is a form of carbon, which is one of the softest substances known. Diamonds, on the other hand, are also pure carbon, and they're the hardest substance known. Graphite conducts electricity. Diamonds don't. How's that for strange? Pure carbon, both of them, yet completely different. Elemental carbon, it seems, can form itself into a variety of shapes at the atomic level because of the various ways the atoms bond with each other. In the case of graphite, the carbon atoms arrange themselves into flat, two-dimensional sheets of carbon rings, each one with six carbon atoms in it. So it's shaped kind of like a six-sided uh, stop sign. So imagine a flat sheet of rings with all the rings connected together. There's very little attraction between the adjacent sheets, which means they can slide effortlessly against each other. That's why graphite smears on the paper from your pencil, and it's also why it's used as a lubricant for things like door locks, for example. Now, in the case of diamonds, the carbon atoms arrange themselves into a three-dimensional, four-sided pyramid sort of thing that can be extended pretty much forever, forming large, beautiful, incredible crystalline structures. But there's another form of carbon that scientists have been playing around with for some time now that's completely different from the first two. It's called nanocarbon, and, well, it's really weird. Nano comes from the ancient Greek word for dwarf, and in the world of technology, it means really, really small. So here's what happens in the world of nanocarbon. Under the right circumstances, carbon atoms can be made to form themselves into sheets of rings, just like graphite, but with one very important difference. In graphite, the rings all have six carbons in them, so they lay flat. In nanocarbon, though, the number of atoms in each ring can vary. Some have five or more. This causes the sheet to distort, 
and to curl into a tube or, in some cases, into a sphere. These structures are called fullerenes, named after Buckminster Fuller, who gave us the geodesic dome. When these fullerenes form into spheres, they're called buckyballs, again named for Buckminster. Bucky, get it? Fuller. But here's what's so important and interesting about these fullerenes. When they form into tubes, they become what we know as carbon nanotubes. And they really are tubes. Think of a soda straw. But these tubes are one fifty thousandth the diameter of a human hair. They're also extremely strong. The current technology demonstrates that a carbon fiber with a cross-section of one square millimeter, that's smaller than the head of a pin, will easily support a weight of just over 14,000 pounds. So why do we care about this? Well, in another of our amazing technological coups, we've learned some interesting things about the properties of carbon nanotubes when they interact with other substances. For example, for reasons that have to do with electrostatic resistance, water flows through carbon nanotube structures 900 times faster than it does through traditional substances. But other substances won't pass through, like salt. So if we were to build a carbon nanotube array and pass seawater through it, the salt would remain behind and pure water would emerge on the other side. And it's all about electrostatic repulsion and attraction. I just have a feeling there might be an application for that somewhere. So these things are really amazing, these nanotubes. I mean, it's too bad they were actually invented by a little black beetle in the Namib desert eons ago. Okay, not invented exactly, but this beetle has figured out a way to do biologically what scientists struggle to create in the lab and that is to produce fresh water from nothing. Sorry to rain on your parade. There we were celebrating how amazing we are as a species, creating fresh water, and we find ourselves outdone by a bug. Well, here's the story. Stenocara gracilipes, also called the fog stand beetle, lives in what's arguably the driest place in the world, the Namib Desert down in Namibia. Very little lives there other than a few reptiles, a bug or two, and the occasional antelope that wanders through on the way to somewhere else. But this little beetle lives there year-round and gets along just fine. And here's how. Early in the morning, for a brief period of time, there's often a light fog that drifts into the desert. When it does, Stenacara climbs to a high spot on a sand dune, faces into the wind, and raises its rear end up into the air at about a 45-degree angle. Now, here's where things get really cool. In this position, the beetle spreads its wings open, which are very bumpy. The bumps are covered with a substance that attracts moisture. And as the ever so slightly moist air flows over the wings, tiny little water droplets form on them, pulled right out of the air. The bumps are surrounded by little gullies that are covered by a substance that repels water. So the water droplets form on the bumps, which are hydrophilic, meaning they attract water, until they're big enough from accumulated moisture that they roll off the bumps into the hydrophobic, water-resistant channels. And because the beetle has his butt up in the air, higher than his head, the water droplets roll downhill all the way to his mouth. This is exactly how water behaves in a carbon nanotube. So eat your heart out, Buckminster Fuller. Here's what's cool about this. Researchers have figured out how to manufacture surfaces that combine these water-loving and water-repelling substances, and the result is surfaces that repel water, dirt, fingerprints, oils, and so on, or that could collect water from the air, just like our little beetle does. 
at least one company is going commercial with the idea. Check out a company called NBD Nano. This concept of using ideas from the natural world to create new technologies is called biomimicry or biomimetics, and it's a whole new field in the world of science. For example, a team at Cornell University has figured out a way to mimic the photosynthetic process. In photosynthesis, green plants take sunlight, water, and carbon dioxide, and from them manufacture long, complex sugar and starch molecules. At Cornell, they're mimicking the photosynthetic mechanism, but instead of forming long, complex sugars, they're creating long, complex plastics, and they're doing it at room temperature. Before I go any further with this, let me make a recommendation to you. The next time you have a little time on your hands and you want to be amazed at something, go to YouTube and look up videos by a woman named Janine Benyus. That's spelled B-E-N-Y-U-S. She's an expert in biomimicry, sometimes called biomimetics, as I said, and her talks are absolutely mesmerizing. She also has a great book out called Biomimicry, Innovation Inspired by Nature. The book will blow your socks off. She deserves every accolade that comes her way. Anyway, Everything I've talked about so far falls into this category. Janine points her audience to a seashell, the beautiful mother-of-pearl abalone. I'm sure you've all seen them. And points out that it gets its shimmery, iridescent beauty from the fact that the inside of the shell consists of alternating layers of mineral and polymer. Now, we can do the same thing in the laboratory under tremendous pressure and heat. The abalone does it at cold temperatures in the ocean. What if we could do that? Here's another one that I found in my research. You know that iridescent, shimmery, deep red color that has started to appear on a lot of sports cars in the last few years? It's not the creamy enamel red that we all know. This one's different. It, it's almost like it changes color depending what direction you're looking at it from. You know, you know the one I mean? Well, scientists have learned to make that color by copying the gorget feathers on a hummingbird. Now, the gorget is the iridescent throat of the hummingbird, and its colors are found nowhere else. Here's how they work. The tiny little barbs that make up the feather act like microscopic prisms, and they reflect light into different colors that change with the viewing angle. Well, paint technologists have figured out how to mix tiny refractive glass beads into the paint, and the result is what we see in those iridescent beautiful paint jobs. I guess my message in this episode is to go outside, look around, immerse yourself in nature, allow yourself to be amazed again and again by what you suddenly allow yourself to see. Nature is really amazing and there is so much that we can learn from it if we just allow ourselves to be curious. I'm going to close this particular episode with an essay that I wrote years ago and never did anything with. This just seems like the right place to pull it out, dust it off, and share it. So here you go. There are certain things animals do that clearly prove their superiority over people, and it has nothing to do with genetics. For example, animals never wake up in a bad mood. At 3.30 in the morning, in the country, when all sane creatures are either blissfully asleep or awake and exhibiting the social graces of a chainsaw, the birds are singing. When an anthill gets trampled, the ants don't scream and holler and shake tiny little fists at Mr. Nike. They matter-of-factly move the broken bodies off to the side, collect the scattered foodstuffs, fix things up, and get on with life. There is, however, one exception to this that I know of. At the San Francisco Zoo, there's a gorilla who spends all day sitting on his haunches, scowling at the world. 
Every once in a while, though, without warning, he picks up a ball of gorilla poop and he heaves it with unerring accuracy at some unsuspecting zoo-goer's head. And then he smiles. He actually smiles. Now, there are those out there who feel that this particular gorilla is exhibiting extremely antisocial behavior. I, on the other hand, feel that his behavior is entirely social. I also believe that it exhibits signs of a keen, advanced intellect and proof that evolution ain't moving all that fast. For the Natural Curiosity Project and for gorillas everywhere, keep smiling. Thanks for dropping by, folks. I'm Steve Shepard. I'll see you in the next episode.